Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Ariane Barry, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 195. There are 100, 131 teams in FBS. Alabama is at the bottom of that list for the most amount of penalties. They have 66 penalties so far on the Who can guess closest to the amount of yards they have lost by penalties without going over? And they've, they've been the most penalized, correct? They have been the most penalized, yes. And there have been seven games so far this season? Who has to guess first? Uh, it doesn't matter. You, you can, uh, we'll, we'll go on the count of three. Do you both have a guess yet? How many penalty yards? Yes. Total. How many yards total have they been penalized this year for 66 penalties? And they've played seven seven games, right? Is that right? I think that's right. I mean, all you should need to know is that yeah, they have 66 right. penalties. Right. <laughs> uh... You a guess? Without going over, you said, right? Without going over. Closest without going over. I need your yeah, answers in, in three, two... One. 420. 462. Arian is the winner. The correct answer was 559 yards. Wow. Penalized so far this year, which is insane. Eight and a half yards of penalty. I know. That's so bad. <laughs> I was like, no way. I did mine. I multiplied it by seven. And I was like, that seems like a fair in between. For all of our Iowa State fans, they've had 40 penalties this year for 336 yards, which is still quite a bit. Um, but leading the pack for the fewest is Minnesota, 22 penalties for 203 yards. But the team that has been penalized the least amount by yardage is actually Navy, uh, 23 penalties for 198 yards. And I think Iowa was up there too. They're, they're pretty, uh, pretty close to the top. Let's see if I can find them real quick. Yeah, Iowa, Iowa has 30 penalties for 241 yards, which is much better, much better than I, but that's a lot of penalties for Bama. That is, you don't normally see that from a Nick Saban team. Absolutely I've, not. I've, I've got another pop quiz if you guys want, want you guys want one more? I sure yeah. do. So uh, the NBA season is kicking off today. There are four teams in the NBA whose mascot does not end in the letter S. Can you name them? Dude, I'd be lucky if I could name four NBA uh, teams. Is there one called Boomer? No, no, no. So, like, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves ends in an ass. So oh, that's all right. Jazz. Nick, Jazz. Nickname. I know that one. Nickname, yeah. I should say. Maybe not mascot. So, yes, Jazz is one. The Jazz. Thunder. Thunder is two. Heat. Heat is three. And, um... How many were there? Four. Why it got three the of them. Magic? The Magic is and four, the magic. Yeah. I, I actually think this was a question at Bar Trivia a couple weeks ago for us. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the only reason why I, I remember it. I, I don't yeah. blame you for not remembering the magic. Nobody ever remembered the magic exists. They haven't been useful since Shaq was there. Maybe since Dwight Howard was there? I don't know. Dwight Howard, yeah. It's one of those teams where you think that they don't exist anymore. Yeah. Like, like, you knew they were a thing at one point. They're still around. I like to refer to them as the Siberian Arctic of the NBA. They're just there. Nobody ever hears from you. The color is blue. Yeah. Sneaky play playing possibility this year, though. Could happen. Probably won't, but they could contend. We'll, we'll talk more about that, of course, in our NBA segment, which we will get to in a few moments. But first, we've got to talk about another frustrating loss for the Cyclones football team. To me, again, we had some special teams miscues. I don't know if you guys... what how much of that game you watched and what you saw that block punt. What what were we doing on that block punt? Like Texas overloaded the right side of the line and we just didn't shift. Texas had four guys rushing on the right side of the line and we had one blocker. What did you expect to happen? Some guy went straight through untouched and blocked the punt. I don't I don't get it. How do you not shift your blocking on that blocked punt? That was uh quite frustrating to me. Yeah, I would agree. I didn't see it. I mean, I, I saw it, but I was at work, so I was up and down and I had to drive home. But I was just not surprised when I saw we had another blocked kick. It had yeah. been, what, one week, two weeks? Yeah. I don't know. And you got to wonder, 
where the issue is. Obviously, procedurally, we have something wrong cadence-wise that it can happen this frequently. Yeah, I, and it, but it's been different issues. The issues in the Iowa game leading to the block punts were different than the issues this week um, leading to the block punts. So, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but fix one issue, you have another. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's quite frustrating. And to me, the other thing with this game was poorly timed turnovers. Iowa State turned the ball over twice, um, which is, is never great, but the timing of these turnovers is what was killer. First one, um, you're up 7 nothing. You're in the red zone. You've got, three, you've got three points basically locked up. You've got all the momentum, and then you throw a pick in the end zone. If, right, if you can turn that into a touchdown, you're up 14 nothing. You've got all the momentum. You're going to win that football game. That would have been a hard, hard – you would have had to try hard to lose that football game if you could have punched that ball into the end zone. Instead, an interception in the end zone. I believe that's the third this year for Deckers, interception in the end zone, if I remember correctly. It's a lead. I, I, I can remember one very specifically before this. There was one in the three. Iowa game. Yeah. There was another throw in double coverage corner of the end zone. Um, I don't remember who it was against. I remember the play. And then there was this one. So there's been at least three. Yeah. So, again, those are really the times you can't be making turnovers. And then the the second one was um, Hunter Decker's fumble um, at the end of the game. He got hit hard. There was some debate as to whether it was targeting. I'm back and forth. Wyatt and Ariane, I know you said at the time you don't think it is. I'm pretty staunch that's not targeting. And to be clear, that is almost the exact same play that we did get called targeting on early on in the Baylor game. Like hit for hit, that's almost identical. And I still don't think that should have been targeting then, and it shouldn't be targeting now. To me, it comes down to whether that the contact was initiated to the shoulder or to the head. It's tough to tell on that replay angle whether the, the contact was to Deku's shoulder or to his head. I think that's that's the difference. You agree on that one, Wyatt? Not necessarily, because the rule is forcible contact to the head or neck area, which the top of the shoulder pad would generally be considered head or neck area. I think by rule, technically, this probably could be called targeting. I don't think it should ever be called targeting. I mean, to me, looking at it, it definitely looks like they initiate contact with his head, with their shoulder. At least that's what it looks like in the slow-mo replays that I've seen. But as we've talked about many times, slow-mo makes things hard to ascertain in a real game situation i would feel bad if that was called targeting like like as an iowa state fan great like that might give us you know a a breath of breath of fresh air right but for the game of football and for the ncaa that should not be targeting we just need to know what targeting is nobody knows it is it's back and forth they call it soft they call it they don't call it at all it's so hard to tell and that's why fans get so frustrated it feels like well why not you gave it to them for the same thing. It's called I, I my team. That's fair. The inconsistency is frustrating. The other thing is that targeting has, to me, has been divorced from the player safety aspect. I know Absolutely. you can't totally judge a hit based on whether or not it hurts somebody, right? That's an arbitrary standard. You can't use that. But that hit against Deckers was objectively more dangerous than the one that got called for targeting um previously against Iowa State and Baylor, right? Right. And I don't know how you write that into the rule, but the targeting rule has become divorced from actually improving player safety. I'm not sure how to rectify that, but that to me, that's a problem. It's not making players safer anymore. I, I agree. And it, it really hasn't ever to begin with, to be quite honest. I mean, don't drop your head when you're going for a tackle, but at the same time, you have to lower your shoulder to make the tackle. So in those awful instances where both uh, the runner and the the defender lower their head to break a tackle and make a tackle at the same time, you get helmet on helmet contact, which is always, always bad. I, I don't know what you do. I get, you know, following it like a textbook, like you're trying to retrain people's behaviors. If you just say, this is a good one and this is a bad one, feel it out in the moment. That's almost impossible. You have to make it so that anything resembling that is trained out of these guys. And in theory, that makes sense. In practice, it looks stupid and it doesn't make sense in the game. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, the, I don't know what to do about it, but it's just, it's maddening the inconsistency of it. 
I will say the spread in Vegas was 16 and a half when it opened for this game, which I think we all said was absurd. There's no way that a team with this defense is getting beat by 16 or more points. A uh, big surprise. It was three points. So as usual, good job to our defense. That spread is wider than the total amount of points that we've lost by in big 12 games, there you go. Which, which is 14. Yeah, we've lost four Big 12 games by a total of 14 points. Seven to Baylor, three to Kansas, one to Kansas State, and three to Texas. It's quite frustrating. And right, and it's frustrating because this offense's special teams is wasting, as we talked about, probably the greatest defense for sure in the Matt Campbell era, maybe in school history. This defense is 12th in the nation in yards allowed per game and 9th in the nation in um, scoring defense. This, the defense is giving up 15 points a game, and we're Sorry. still and we're four, and we're three and four. It right, you, all you've got, yeah, it's it's maddening. We can score on the games where our defense gives up a little bit more, and when our defense plays great, we can't score. It's it's very maddening. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm I'm gonna gripe on the defense a little bit because I just praised him. What was TJ Tampa doing on that last Texas touchdown? <sighs> right. That's a good question. So, right, he's got he's got help on the inside shallow, right? He's got help. There's a guy standing right there, right there, and he bites so hard for the inside fake on the whip route that he almost fell over. He didn't have to cover the inside on that route. We had a different defender there. He's got to keep outside leverage, and he's fine. And he just fell so hard for that fake. It's so frustrating. I think I was yelling at that exact same play as it happened. I haven't watched the replay since since the game, but I remember yelling, why did he cut inside? Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. If that receiver continues inside, even if Tampa disappeared, that's we not a complete pass. He's got no. help. Yeah. Tampa's got to have outside leverage there and don't get beat to the outside. And I'm sure he's if beating he, himself up for it more than we could even mention. Yeah. But if if Evers can fit that Ewers, however you pronounce it, can fit that pass in between Tampa and the safety there on the inside route. More power to him. Spoiler alert, he can't. I thought he looked awful in this game. He missed all kinds of open receivers and just terrible throws. But um, he wasn't going to fit it in there on the inside throw. That was that was just very bad, and that was frustrating that the defense played great, and it all came down to that play, and we ended up not being able to get it done. I, I mean, I don't have much more to say about this team anymore. The defense is great. The offense and special teams are inconsistent. We'll call them a work in progress. Yeah. They're very young. We've said that before. It's not an excuse for playing bad, but it is a reason. Yep. You're working on it. it. Yeah, it is a reason. Like we said, this is a rebuilding year. We came into the season with high hopes and relatively high expectations. We just anticipated it being a little bit more fun to watch and less three and outs. So, it, it, you know. Not the most exciting to just watch our defense just totally own and then our offense apparently really enjoy how the benches feel on the sideline because they're rushing back there as fast as they can. And again, it was the one game that killed us on offense. Yes, Decker's had those two turnovers, but he didn't play a terrible... I thought he played really well. Decker's looked really good uh, for running too. He had some really good runs. Well, yeah, He was the leading rusher. He ran for 30 yards. That was our leading rusher. Oh, <laughs> I had not looked at the box score. That's not great. Yeah. He he threw. He was twenty five for thirty six for three hundred twenty nine yards, two touchdowns. He did have the one bad interception, but he was also the leading rusher, eight carries for thirty yards. Yeah, definitely the biggest change from the beginning of the season to Big Twelve play has been the complete dissolving of our run game. And whoever made that prediction that uh, uh, Jabril Brock was going to get like. Seven 100-yard rushing games. Not looking great at this point. I don't remember. I think that was Kyle. Yeah, it was. He'd pretty much have to do it in every game the rest of the year in order to get that. Um, Which, more power to him. Go for it, my man. Yeah, that's probably not happening. But yeah, and when Deckers ran the ball, both scrambling and designed runs, those were all good plays. They were. He 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 got. I don't know if he was listening to us or somebody else got to him. Probably the latter, but you never know. Um, he looked great. I think he, he had a great game, and it was just the rest of the running game could do nothing, and that that killed you. That was that. I prefer to believe in the former that he does actually listen to the pod. Uh, so if you are, shout out to you, Hunter Deckers. You're awesome. We're sorry that Kyle doubted you at the beginning. Of- yeah, we were never on board with that hate train. <laughs>
I will say, rebuilding year, you know, yada, yada, yada. We are three and four. At this point in time, just a couple of years ago, 2016, we were one and six. So it's not like we're bad. We still have a great team with a lot of good potential. Not all is lost. It's just we're not going to be the uh, – I don't want to go into the term top championship no, game. I, I don't want to use the term powerhouse because that's not what we were. But we, we're not going to be this fantastical uh, this year. And this team still has a chance to go to a ball game. Um, pretty, um, they'll be favored probably three more times, maybe only two more times. Depends on what the odds makers do for the Oklahoma game. Um, so this team still has a chance to go to a ball game. I'm thinking five, six wins is probably what this team ends up with now. So not quite what we were hoping for, but in the end, not that far off. If this team wins six games, right? Most of us predicted seven in the preseason. That's, that's not that much different. So it's just sort of been frustrating how we've, uh, gotten there so uh no game for the cyclones this next week they are on by um enjoy a saturday where you don't get your heart broken by the cyclones yeah i and, appreciate them having a bye i gotta go to my brother's wedding this week so i was gonna be busy so love that i don't have to you know pull up a game on my phone while i'm up there on the uh the stage <laughs> i've done yeah, that before good, <laughs> good time good timing on the bye that's yeah, for thank sure. you to the NCAA or whoever says that. And it'll be uh, Oklahoma um, the week after at home. So we'll talk more about that game on next week's episode. This week in the NFL, um, to me, the storyline in the NFL was big surprises or ugly games. Pretty much the result of every game was either a huge surprise or the game was just awful. Um, We'll start with the ugly games. Uh, Commanders Bears 12-7, and the Commanders only got to 12 because the Bears muffed a punt light. Um, Carson Wentz got hurt in that one. It was a very bad game. Uh, Vikings over Dolphins 24-16. That might not look like a bad game based on the score, but the Vikings went three and out 10 times in that game, which is, that's not good. That's close to a record for, for three and outs ever in a game 10 three and outs in that game for the Vikings, but they managed to win um, and get to three and one. And you don't have to apologize for winning in the NFL, no matter who you beat or how you beat them. So the Seahawks over the Cardinals was another ugly affair. I get that the Cardinals receiving core has been battered by injuries and suspensions, but you've got to think uh, Cliff Clinsbury is uh, on the hot seat here, right? With their two and four start. He should be. I don't know that anybody's really that surprised. He's definitely somebody who uh, just managed to ride that Sean McVay hype train of young, pretty white guy means he's a good coach because he knows how to do offense. And uh, clearly that doesn't work as well as we thought it did. There was I was just reading an article that these so-called offensive geniuses are based much more on uh, players than they are on, you know, the coaches themselves. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I think that especially with, no one is saying that Kyler Murray is not good at quarterback. Obviously we've seen him put up pretty big numbers. However, he obviously has shortcomings. And I think you really need a coach who is strategically pretty advanced and is not a player coach. Like it can't be a guy who wants to be your friend. We've already seen that Kyler Murray isn't always the best at studying. So I feel like you have to have somebody who's going to challenge him and make sure that he's putting the work in and somebody who can scheme against his weaknesses as well as scheme for his strengths. And I don't think that's Cliff Kingsbury. I, don't, I wasn't a huge fan of that hire. I wasn't a huge fan of an uh, NFL team hiring somebody who just got fired at Texas Tech. Yeah, makes no sense. Could be worse. They could have hired Nathaniel Hackett. They could have. I mean, even Bill Belichick, right? Bill Belichick is a below 500 coach without Tom Brady, right? The supposed greatest coach of our generation right, is bad without the best quarterback ever. So just something to keep in mind, right? It's not all about the coaching, and sometimes great coaches aren't what we think they are. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll get some pushback on this one, but the Eagles over the Cowboys, to me, was also an ugly game. The Cowboys could not do anything on offense for 90% of that game. Um, they managed to do enough to uh, make it somewhat close at the end, but still, I've got that one chalked up in an ugly game. Um, yeah, it was not as competitive as it looked at the end on the scoreboard. 
No, it was not. And then the Broncos, uh, as they have done many, many times, treated us to another ugly, ugly game in prime time on Monday night. They fell 19 to 16 to the Chargers in a game neither team looked like they wanted to win. Um, in that game, uh, what would it be, 13 of the 19 Chargers points was scored by uh, DeAndre Hopkins on sorry, Dustin Hopkins on uh, one and a half legs. He injured his leg on the first kick of the game and uh, kicked the walk-off field goal in overtime and every other field goal on that leg. Just another ugly game. And, I mean, you really – can you fire a first-year head coach? Yes. If you can hack it, might get fired. Yes, that that should probably happen. And we were talking before we started recording. I was coming home late from work, turned on the game, Saw on there, Russell Wilson, 10 of 10, 120-something yards and a touchdown. I was like, finally, Russell Wilson's back to what he used to be. And uh, he completed four passes for the entire rest of the game and overtime. They five. had negative pass. Oh, five? Yeah, he had negative five 13 passing yards in the second half. <laughs> really bad. Yeah, he finished 15 to 28 for 188 yards. And you can't even blame that all on Hackett. Like, he just misses throws constantly now. Guys wide open in the end zone just sails it three, four feet over their head. I don't know what happened to him, but every four games, apparently, we're just going to say that he has a different injury, and that makes up for the fact that he's playing terrible. If he's injured, don't play him. Otherwise, we don't want to hear about an excuse. It's, uh, yeah, the, things are absolutely a mess um, in in Denver right now. But there were um, some games that were not ugly, but most of those were big surprises. The Bills over the Chiefs in Kansas City. That was a big surprise to me. I had I had that one down as a Bills Did win you? before the weekend, yeah. Okay, all right, fair enough. It was a surprise to me. But that's probably the least surprising of all the ones I'm going to run down here. Um, the Steelers beat the Bucs. Um, Tom Brady was unable to get a uh, passing touchdown. They kicked a lot of field goals. Um, in that game, um, Leonard Fournette did get a, a touchdown late, but otherwise four field goals for Tampa Bay, and they fell to Pittsburgh. The Jets knocked off the Packers in Lambeau Field in a game twenty-seven to ten in a game that was not competitive pretty much whatsoever. I don't know what's wrong with the Packers, but they've just lost two straight games to the Jets and Giants, who actually are combined nine and three right now, but on paper, those both look like bad losses. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen two teams with better records that seemingly no one is buying yet still. Everybody seems to just be waiting it out. When is the floor going to fall out on the New York teams? Because nobody's like, yeah, these guys are good, really good. I don't think anybody thinks that's going to last to the postseason. Yeah, but speaking of the Giants, they had one of the big surprise wins, knocking off the Ravens 24-20 to um, at home with a good comeback. They were down 20-10 to um, in the fourth quarter in that one and came back to win it. Um, for me, the Patriots over the Browns was also um, surprising. No, the Browns aren't good, but the Patriots are still playing um, Bailey Zappi at quarterback. Um, so to go into Cleveland and beat them that handily, 38-15, to 15, was definitely a surprise to me. And then the uh, the Falcons over the 49ers um, as well. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has not been uh, exactly what the Falcons needed, and that rush game has been terrible. Um, and the, that's got the 49ers sitting at 500 after losing 28-14 to Atlanta. So a little bit of a weird week in the NFL but we will see how it goes um, going forward as we, we swing right into week seven on Thursday with another uh, ugly matchup with the Saints versus the Cardinals on Thursday night football. So DeAndre Hopkins is back, though, so maybe that will help the Cardinals offense. I mean, you got and they did trade for Robbie Anderson, too. Yeah, we'll see what that looks like. It'll be worth it'll be worth watching just to see how that looks. So that was week six in the NFL. Um, In Major League Baseball, the playoffs are in full swing and the division series are in the book this last week. In the American League, Houston swept Seattle, um, though game three went 17 innings before somebody finally scored and Houston ended up winning that game one to nothing. That was a long game with a lot of defense. I think it was the longest postseason game without a score in history. I think you are correct, yes. 
So great run, great season for Seattle. Um, sad to see it end, especially to Houston. But they ended the longest playoff drought in baseball. Um, got that playoff win. Now uh, the Twins, my Twins, hold the longest streak without a playoff win. That was the also the longest playoff drought in pro in the Big Four pro sports. So pretty impressive that they finally got that under control. In the other game in the American series, excuse me, in the American League, the Yankees beat Cleveland, the Guardians, in five games. Um, Rain really helped out the Yankees in this series, especially in game five. Um, a rain, a rain out on Monday allowed that game to get played, game five to get played on Tuesday, which not only allowed the Yankees to start uh, their all star Nectar Cortez instead of Jamison Talion, but it also made sure their whole bullpen was available for game five when most of it was not going to be available because they pitched in back-to-back games in games three and four. Um, so the rain really helped the Yankees. They probably would have won anyway, but you never know. Over in the National League, the Padres upset the Dodgers. We talked about that last week, how they'd have to beat the odds to do that, and they did um, with a victory over the Dodgers in four games. And the Phillies also upset the Braves in four games. So your defending champ Braves um, as well as your 2020 champ Dodgers are both out of the playoffs. And um, the Phillies and Dodgers have started the NLCS here on Tuesday. And Yankees Astros will start on Wednesday in the ALCS. We'll, of course, keep you filled in on all of that um, in next week's episode. So, Arian, if I'm reading what's coming up on my TV properly, um, the NBA starts today, like right now-ish. Yeah, is it is right? in full swing. We have about, uh, we're about to go to halftime on the Celtics-Philadelphia game right now. Uh, they are tied, so been a good start so far. Fun little rivalry game to start it off, and then Warriors-Lakers later tonight. And then after that, it's all full steam ahead. So we got that going on. Um, we didn't... I didn't prepare enough because I have, uh, you know, other things going on that make me forget what I need to do for this sometimes. So I don't have a full breakdown currently for the season, but we figured we'd do what we've done in the past for beginning of seasons. And we're just going to go down our general predictions. We're going to do top five in, or top six rather in the West and top six in the East for our finishers for the regular season. If you do not know, six teams will automatically make the playoffs. The next four teams in the West and the East, respectively, are in a play-in tournament. And then two teams from those four will also get to be in the playoffs. But we're just going to do the top six, the teams that will be locked into the playoffs. Um, And we'll see what we think there and how stupid we look at the end of the year. Because I'm sure it will be uh, probably not that beneficial for us to look smart. But uh, how do you guys want to do this? One by one for each pick or all the way down? Or West and East? Let's do... Uh, so you'll do all six of the West. I'll do all six in the West. Wild do all six in the West. Um, we'll go down that way. How does that sound? Okay. Yeah, we can do that. And for added difficulty, we do have them seated because why not? Um, so it's tough this year. Uh, this is probably one of the more wide open years we've seen. I think 538 ended up with 11 or 12 teams with over a 5% chance of winning the championship, which is pretty darn good. So very high room for us to all look really bad. But I'm going to go ahead and say, for my West, one through six, I have the Nuggets coming in first. I think they're going to be fully healthy this year and a lot to prove. Uh, You have the Clippers in second for me. Basically, same thing I said for the Nuggets. The third is going to be the Timberwolves. I think they're going to be a regular season win machine, and they're also going to have a lot to prove, showing that they can indeed play and play well with Gobert and Cat on the court. And I think Anthony Edwards will take a next step as well. Uh, in fourth, they have the Warriors. I think they'll still be good. I don't anticipate them having a lot of issues. They're just not as concerned with seeding. They know what they have. They have a ton of postseason experience. So they're just going to coast, try and get a little bit of home court, but they're going to be playing their young guys a little bit more this season as well. In the fifth seed in the West, I have the Grizzlies. I think they will perform very well as well. Probably not the best, but Josh should be able to carry them as long as they don't get injured. And they do have a great amount of depth and good defense. And then in the sixth, a little bit of surprise. I feel like people have written them off a little bit. I think the Suns still have a chance as long as everybody shows up and plays well. And I don't know, 
I think Jay Crowder should probably play for them until he gets traded if he wants to get traded. But I have the Suns settling in the sixth spot in the West. And then who do you got as your Western Conference champion? So in the Western Conference championship spot, I have the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, They have not had good luck historically or really been good at all historically. So it's going to be a little bit of a, a curse breaking year for them. I think they rest their guys when they need to rely on their depth in the regular season. And then Kawhi and PG can carry them through the playoffs. Fair enough. Fair enough. I've got the same six teams as you actually for my uh, top six. So there's that. I've got them seated a little bit differently though. I've got, I've got the Warriors at number one. To me, until somebody proves differently, uh, they're the number one seed. Somebody's got to unseat them in my book before I'm going to let anybody else uh, be that number one seed. I've got the Nuggets at two, Clippers at three, Wolves at four. Um, I also think it'll be a better year for them. Grizzlies at five, and I do have the Suns holding on to the six. And then for my Western Conference champ, I've got the Nuggets. Like you said, if they're healthy, um, I think they have a really good team, and I think they'll uh, be able to carry that to the Western Conference Championship. I will say I also anticipate the Nuggets potentially finishing under fourth um, if they have a little bit of injuries or Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are a little bit overrated because of what they do on the offensive end, but they just don't do that much on the defensive end. So there is a chance that they could not really look as good this year. But we'll we'll see what happens. They have a huge upside, but I think their floor is a little bit lower than a lot of people give them credit for. I will be the first to admit that I know jack all about the NBA, but it seems like I've done a decent job because it looks like a lot of our teams match up. Uh, so that's good. I picked first in the West, the Nuggets, because chicken nuggets sound good. I picked the Warriors next because that's the type of airplane that I fly sometimes. After them, I picked the Clippers because I need a haircut. And then I picked the Suns because it was cold out this morning and I want it to be sunny outside. And then I picked the Timberwolves because they're close to Iowa, I think. And then I picked the Lakers because they were good at one point in time that I can recall. That is really good reasoning overall. Uh, Top notch. I like it. And then my champion, I I picked the Clippers because I remember, sorry, wait. Yeah, I picked the Clippers. Uh, With that, we'll move on to the East. And I have in the number one seed... The Milwaukee Bucks, um, again, I just think they're a really great, well-constructed team. Good depth, good players. Giannis always tries hard no matter what, so I think they'll do really well in the regular season. I have the uh, 76ers in the second-place spot. I think that hopefully, I'm hoping that Joel Embiid and James Harden can have a strong year together without injuries, and um, I think that Maxi's going to take a big step forward, and obviously our boy George Niang is probably going to average like 35 points a game, so it'll be easy for them. Uh, in the third spot, I have the Boston Celtics, which is kind of a surprise. Uh, their coach is on suspension. They have an interim. It's a whole drama thing. You can go look that up if you're interested. We don't need to get into all the craziness there on this podcast, but I think that their players will persevere and kind of rally behind their interim head coach and they will still finish in third uh in the fourth place there is a team that i am much higher on than everyone else and that is the uh cleveland cavaliers seem to be talked about as a play-in team i think with the addition of donovan mitchell and then the increased just skill level of their young guys i think play really really well this year they have a lot to prove so they're going to be playing hard in that regular season uh in the fifth spot i have the mm, what, where are they from? Miami. The, the Miami Heat. Um, they're just always strong no matter who's on the floor. I don't think they'll end up in the top spot, but I think they'll be somewhere that is safe. So I'm going to put them in the fifth seed because they always have a good baseline. And then in the sixth seed for the East, I have kind of a surprise given that you really don't know what the heck any of their stars are doing. I have the Brooklyn Nets. We'll assume that Kyrie does not take a break for whatever... Strange reason Kyrie picks, um, Ben Simmons back and brain are good for the most part, and Katie doesn't have to carry the team and get injured. So if they all play, I think they can make it. And I just factored in a little bit of weird stuff to put them in the sixth seed. If they're all healthy for the whole year, I would anticipate them even being higher than that. But that's my six. And then for the Eastern Conference champion, I have the 76ers. We'll see if James Harden can break out of his playing terrible in the playoffs um, 
slump and Joel cannot get a broken orbital bone in the playoffs. If everything goes together, I think they're a really good team and really tough to play when it becomes super matchup centric in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a fair list. We've got fairly similar teams on our list. Four out of six, um, same on my list to yours. I got the 76ers um, as the number one, Celtics as number two. Um, I think they still just got a ton of talent, even with their coaching drama. I still think they're probably the most talented team in the East. Um, the Bucks number three, Giannis is great. Um, Heat to finish four. I've got the Hawks number five. I think people are sleeping on the Hawks. I think they could be a pretty good team this year. So I've got them as the five. And then the Raptors, um, and I was on Nick Nurse squeaking in as the six in the East. And I do have the Celtics and their talent um, winning the East, being an Eastern Conference champion. Yeah, on my piece of paper that I was trying to scratch out my list on, I have Raps slash Heat on my thing. So I was definitely looking at the Heat as well, or the Raptors as well. I think they're going to be a pretty talented team, a lot of young talent. The Hawks, I flip back and forth on, I don't know. They could be good. They could not be good. It's hard to tell. Trey Young is fantastic on the offensive side, but he's just really, really, really bad on the defensive side. Don't tell ESPN. They know. (laughs) (laughs) I have in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks, number one, the 76ers, number two. Where are reasons here? It's not Bucks because you need a money or something. So, uh, oh, okay. We can go with some reasons. That's good. So we need that again. The Bucks because it's starting to come uh, towards hunting season. The 76ers, because I'm feeling very patriotic, I guess, 1776, right? And that's what they're named after. Is, is, that, is that really what they're named after? I was going to ask that question. Earlier. That is, yeah. That is actually okay. what they're named after. I'll take okay. it. I couldn't think of another 76 joke. <laughs> we have the Celtics because um, something about Wales and, and Celtic or something. We have... <laughs> <laughs> The Nets, because basketball has a net, so that's good. We have the Cavaliers, because LeBron was on that team at one point, and he was good when I drafted him in fantasy that year, so that was great. And then we have the Magic, because magically they'll get a a play-in spot and somehow win the play-in to get in the thing to make on my list. That'll just be a playoff spot. If they won the play-in, they'd be seven or eight. Oh, they have a playoff spot then. There you go. Magic. Beautiful. Very nice, very nice. So, conference finals, just to recap. RN's got Clippers, 76ers. I've got Nuggets, Celtics. And Wyatt has Clippers, Celtics. Ariane, who do you have winning that Clippers, 76ers series? We are, we are all connected by a one, so that's kind of interesting. Um, I have the 76ers winning. I don't feel confident about that. I could not decide between the two. But I just like the idea of Joel Embiid winning a championship. He's a nice guy. I like to watch him play. So go big, man. Let's get a real center back in there. Yeah. So in my Nuggets Celtics series, I've got the Nuggets. I think this is finally the year they get over the top in Denver. Also a real center. In my opinion, the best center in the NBA. Yeah. Who won the championship last year? You tell me. I'm, if I knew, I wouldn't was, be uh, asking. The Golden State Warriors. They're in the West, right? Yes, they sir. Are. I'm going to pick the East. We're going to go with the Celtics. Sounds good. Fair enough. Ariane, is there anything else we should know about um, this NBA season as it gets started? Um, not necessarily. I mean, we could probably pick some interesting things for every team. But uh, overall, if I was going to pick two teams that I'm most excited to play watch this season for each uh, conference, it's probably going to be the Timberwolves for the West for me. This two-center lineup, two guys that are pretty much seven foot, has really not been done, at least in the past 10 years. So I'm very excited to watch that and see if we can see a kind of a shift from the small ball, all-wings play style. And then in the East, for me, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers. They did well last season with all their young talent, and they just added Donovan Mitchell, a very exciting scoring guard. So I think their games will be very interesting to watch, a good combination of defense and offense. Watch out for the Pelicans this year. I don't think any of us put them on our top six list, but don't be shocked if they end up there in the West either. Um, It's going to be an interesting year because there's going to be a lot of people trying to make the playoffs, and there's also going to be a lot of people trying to lose as many as possible because there is a man named Victor Wembenyama who is seven foot four 
can dribble, can shoot, can score from France. Um, check out some of his highlights. It truly is incredible. Uh, I thought he was overblown until I saw some pl- him play last week in Vegas. And honestly, it's, it's pretty crazy. So you're going to see some interesting lineups, I would bet, in the second half of the season when people are just uh, blatantly trying to tank. Yeah, that could be interesting late. I was also looking up 538's chances of winning the finals this year. Uh, Nuggets have a 13% chance. Sixers have a 7% chance. And Celtics have a 21% chance. So so basically uh, between the, the three of us, we picked for 40, 41% of the chances to win the... Yeah, we picked three out of the top four teams. Interestingly, the Grizzlies are number four, which I would not have guessed. So yeah, not terrible by us. Good job, everybody. Yeah, I think that was pretty solid. I mean, I did sort of base my rankings a little bit off 538 as it is, so... That's fair. I, I can't well. take full credit. So. Oh, I just went with gut feeling, which our lists are pretty similar, so I can assume that I'm as accurate as then. Yeah, I, I started out with my gut feeling and then went to 538 and adjusted a few things. In my oh, man, I went right to 538. Hey. I had no hope. Know what you got. So this week in Mike's Stupid Rules, um, we are going to talk about something that is unique and I would say fairly lame. And by fairly lame, I mean really lame about the National High School Football Rules, NFHS. Um, So Wyatt, do you want to uh, take this one over and uh, take, uh, take this since you are the high school official? I'll defer the floor to you. Sure. So the the lame part here is specifically Rule 8, Section 3, Article 2, uh, Subsection A, which says the try begins. So so a try, first of all, right, uh, you score a touchdown. The try is the thing you do after. Uh, This could be a one-point attempt kicking a field goal or going for two. You all know what that is. In high school, the try ends when Team B secures possession of the ball. So the ball is immediately dead if the defending team uh, maintains possession of the ball, which is all good and well. We also have a, a separate rule that says, uh, this is Article 3 of that same section, that says only A, uh, which is the offense, may score during a try. So Team B can never score during a try. You cannot have a 6-1 to one result in the NFHS uh, for a one-point safety. And I'm bringing that up because you know we love one-point safeties. And specifically in the rule, it it does say that uh, team A can score either with a two-point conversion, a one-point conversion resulting from a field goal, or a safety, a one-point safety by B. So my question for you two is how, in the NFHS, can you get a one-point safety if, during a try, the receiving team cannot possess the ball and team B cannot score a point? Any guesses? I mean, theoretically, if you blocked the kick, let's say... And it just kept rolling backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards. And then the kicking team picks it up in their own end zone and gets tackled. That would be a one-point safety, right? So if the kicking team gets tackled in their own end zone, that one-point safety would award one point to which team? To team B. Which is not allowed by the rule. Team B cannot score on a try. And got it. So it would have to be... There shouldn't be a way... I, I can't see how this is possible then. The only way that I think this is possible, I haven't, I haven't ran it past anybody else, it's kind of off the cuff, is if the, the ball is blocked on a kick, and then in the field of play, the ball is batted out the end zone by Team B. They never had possession of the ball, but they provided the force uh-huh. that caused the ball to go uh, across the goal line and subsequently across well, the end line. Would that be, wouldn't that be, isn't that just a touchback or a failed try? Not if they provide the force that caused the ball to go across their end line, right? Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Like I said, I'm not entirely sure. We can actually look up the, the definition of a safety real quick. So it is a safety when a player who is either in the field of play or in his end zone forces a loose ball from the field of play to or across his goal line um, somehow, and the ball becomes dead there in his team's possession. So since the ball becomes dead in player B possession, if, if a B player bats the ball back in their own end zone and then picks up the ball, the ball's dead in their end zone, that would be a one-point safety for A, is what I'm getting out of the rule. I think it's interesting that, that they specifically say that a one-point safety is allowed to be scored by Team A, but I don't see a good way of doing that. 
Yeah. Right? Because they can never possess the ball, which means they can never get... So, uh, to yeah. clarify that, they can possess the ball, but the ball is immediately dead when they... Right. And a dead ball in your own end zone is not a safety unless you possessed it outside of your end zone before it became dead in your end zone. If it was live huh. outside the end zone and batted into it, and then it was dead in the end. No, because you got to have possession and then go back into. You got to have possession outside the end zone and then go back into the end zone for a safety. Uh, not not according to this rule. Eight five two section B. A player who is either in the field of play or in his end zone forces a loose ball from the field of play across his goal line, either a kick, pass, fumble, snapper, or whatever. Um. Provided the ball becomes dead there in his team's possession, this does not apply to so, a legal forward pass, which becomes incomplete. That's a weird. So reco- recovering a kick, a blocked kick in your own end zone, is a one point safety. That's what I'm getting out of that rule. Only if the player from that team forced the ball into the end. Zone. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know. That's a weird rule. If you're an NFHS rules expert, reach out to us and see what your uh, your thoughts are on how you could get a one point safety in high school. That's the only way that I see how to depose. Yeah. That's interesting. Very weird. But like I said, it is called out in the rule book explicitly that Team A can be awarded a safety in a try. So, there so you go. there's got to be a way for it. But yep. anyway. Anyway, thank you, Wyatt, for filling us in on that. Um, hopefully you can get some more details on that, too, if uh, we get anybody reaching out to us on that. So on our Write That Down prediction segment this week, um, last week we had a really, really good accountability session, especially for Ariane. This week, it was a bad accountability session. Nobody got anything correct this week um, in two predictions that we had come off the board. First prediction off the board was from Kyle, who predicted that Seattle would make the World Series. Um, as we just talked about, they lost to Houston, so they will not make the World Series. So Kyle gets a nah. 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 And Arian predicted that Iowa State football would win three straight games, starting with the Texas game. Um can't win three straight if you don't win the first one. So Ion gets it. Nah. Nah. That, that's it. It was only the two for the accountability session. So I'll get our first prediction back on the board. And I'm going to predict the Timberwolves are uh, one of the top two teams in the West at some point in more than 15 games into the season. D- did that make sense? Did you follow that? Yeah. So this is kind of hard to know for sure, because I don't know what everybody's schedule starts off like. You said that the Wolves have a pretty soft schedule to go, at least at the beginning. So that's beneficial. Uh, I am also a big Wolves hyper this year. So for me, I'm like, yeah, probably. I think I picked them to finish, what, third or fourth? I think they could do that. Yeah, third for me. So I think they're going to be right up there. I Between I, probably a double for me. Sure. I'm a believer. All right, that's fine. Bull's fine with me. Do you anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yes, he's been keeping an eye on the MLB postseason, just like um, all of us have. And he is going into the National League to make a prediction. He's going to predict the San Diego Padres win the World Series. According to 538, they have an 18% chance of winning the World Series. According to fan graphs, they have a 26% chance to win the World Series. So it depends on which system. Very big difference. I mean, I think there's something to the hot hand. I would lean probably not all the way to 26, but maybe a little closer to 26 than 18. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they're better than Philadelphia, but I don't think they're better than Houston or the Yankees. So I don't know. I'm between a double or a triple for this. I mean that's that's pretty squarely in double territory, isn't it? The the fifteen though is or the seven the eighteen size is leaning towards triple territory. That's true. but I'm fine with a double considering the other percentage. So I'm fine with the double. Yeah, I mean it seems pretty I mean relatively likely to me. Yeah. Well it is. I'm gonna say that Alabama does not make it to the college football playoffs. How many games would they have to lose to not make it? I mean if they lose again, they're not going to make it with two losses, you assume. So, yeah. If they lose twice, but let's say that they still somehow get into the SEC championship and they win that, do they get in? Um, Honestly, Alabama, maybe. It's Alabama. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. God, they want to put them in so bad. If they can get any reason to do it, 
they will. So that's what makes me hesitate to maybe put it a little higher because you know they want to put Alabama in. Yeah, I mean, they do have the advantage that they don't none of the good teams in the conference or in the West. I mean, Mississippi, I guess, is pretty good. But, yeah, boy. Um, Triple? Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, I'd put money on it right now that they make it in. I mean, Easy so according, according to 538, there's only a 31% chance that they do make the playoffs. That means there's a 70% chance that they don't. I don't buy it. I was leaning towards single. There's no way this is a triple. It's also no Alabama, way. though. It's Alabama. I, it's Bama. It's money. I agree. There's no way this is a triple. No way. Well, you said single, and I said triple, so I guess that puts us at our third straight double. I, I we don't guess, have a tiebreaker. I guess, but this should be a single. I just, nah, I'm, I'm not buying the numbers. We don't have Kyle this week, but I hear he may have a prediction for us. Yes, he did uh, make a prediction for us um, on the NBA theme. He is going to predict that uh, Tyrese Halliburton, the former Iowa State guard, is going to be an all-star starter this year. No. Just make the all-star game would be a starter. This seems like no a way. home run to me. Yeah. Right? Home run, happen. baby. So there are two guard starter spots, right? Yeah. And you have, I'm just looking down the list here, um, Trey Young, easy. Uh, Zach Levine. Depending on how they want to start people, uh, Tatum and Brown, Sexton or Garland, Kate Cunningham, Kyrie Irving, Drew Holiday. No way. Not happening. Yeah, this is a home run to me. He might not even make the all-star game. Yeah, I, and that's another thing. The Pacers are not going to be good this year. So that hurts his case. He'll be good enough to make it. I don't know if he will. Yeah, we will see. All right, Diane, what about you? All right. Uh, I'm going to keep it in the NBA. My prediction is that LeBron James will break the all-time NBA scoring record before 2023. Uh, The current projections have him breaking it on the 25th of January. Uh, He has 1,326 points left to go. And I just did some really quick addition. I could be wrong by one or two games. Uh, He has about 36 games before the end of the year to do that in. That's a lot of points. There's a lot of points, but he knows. You have, you know, he knows how many points he has to get. What if he gets injured? Be, yeah. Well, that's always a consideration, of course. It would be, it would be about 37 points a game. Jeez. Um, for him to get there, and he's old. So, I don't think he's going to average 37, but I anticipate a couple big 50-plus point games, and then putting up around 30 to 35. I don't know. This seems like a triple to me. That vibes. Yeah. I'm okay with the triple. Not not, not uh, impossible, but seems highly unlikely. I agree. I'm fine with the triple. I don't think it could happen, but to me, it seems like something that he would know in the back of his head and attempt to try and get done. Yeah. Well, with three doubles, a triple, and a home run, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means, yes, we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 cast, episode 195. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311cast on both Instagram and Twitter. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!